Welcome to Hoop Du Jour with me, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. This is part two of my interview with Bob Ryan. If you haven't heard part one, be sure to give it a listen. When we left off, Bob and I had just finished listening to my interview with Larry Bird from 2016. Your thoughts, Bob? There is an original copy of the book. I have it. I just never have looked back at it. I'm going to have to do that now. <laughs> okay. No, I've got the original in a cabinet right behind me, which, you know, as opposed to the books that's on the shelf that Larry alluded to had some shit taken out of it. I, I, I haven't looked at it in 33 years. I don't remember, but the fact is I do have the original. <laughs> okay. So, so my idea for a book, I think it would be great is if you go to everybody who's written books and, and ask them to give you what was taken out. <laughs> let's, do, let's do that book. <laughs> I know, that is, that, that, yes, that's the Pete Vesey I competed with, folks. <laughs> that's the Pete Vesey. My boss would say, well, Vesey had it. How come you didn't have it? All right. Well, I mean it. Oh, listen, I took note. I, the, we, there's lots of shit interesting in here listening to him. And uh, I'll just start with uh, back. It was talking about 86 and, 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 uh, that, that West Coast trip that you were on and on and so forth. One of the other kickers was when they came home, their first game back in those years was in Hartford. So it was a home away from home. So they had to trundle down two hours in a damn bus to Hartford. I'm sure you all love that. Right, right. Did they well, I'll win? Tell you, I'll Did tell you a win? story that year. See, that's the year that, um, Pete, uh, that uh, Dan Shaughnessy handed the team over to me after that trip. He, he was leaving the beat to go cover the Red Sox. Peter Gammons had left the Globe to go to Sports Illustrated and as soon, in January. And as soon as that happened, Dan, because baseball guy at heart, uh, raised his hand, I got to have baseball. And I came back and took the team over from him after that trip. And the first night was in Hartford, and they're playing the Clavaliers. And Larry says to me before the game, who's going to guard me? And I said, I remember that guy Ben somebody. He was I, I used to... There was a guy named Ben. And I said, yeah, I think Ben. And he said, like, he went, and he got 29 in the first half. You know who, so, ben Poquette? Ben Poquette? No, not Ben Poquette. Oh, oh. It was a forward, um, an African-American player. I forget. Uh, it'll come to me. So anyway. Let me, let, me, let me just interrupt to play off what you just said about Shaughnessy. And, and he and I have different versions of this, but I know mine is correct. And I, I know he's, 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 he's aged. You know, he's got some problems remembering things. <laughs> so we're, we're, you know, we're traveling. People don't realize we're, tra we're traveling commercial. No charge. Oh, yeah. And so we're in the airport. And I don't remember exactly which, which airport we were at. But Shaughnessy gets the word that he's going to do baseball when he gets off this trip. And he's telling a bunch of us, Celtics, myself, and he's telling us. And Parrish pulls out a wad of bills about this big, and he starts <laughs> peeling them off. And he said, Dan, he said, if you go now, I'll pay your way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Dan has a new book out about that season. It's yeah, I mean, I mean, he says it wrong. I, I know I have it right. Yeah, okay, well, I know. So he tells his version. I'm going to have to go look, take a second look at his version. But yes. he's got the book. It's called I Wish It Lasted Forever, and it, and that's a quote from Walton about that season. Yes. So that's yeah, about I felt that. the same way. I, but I got, the, I got to finish the job that Dan, you know, that you guys, uh, and they were, and he, so many things came to my mind. They were ridiculously good from the, in, in January, February, the rest of that year, and they were ridiculously good, and and 
I think it's the best pre three point mania team of all time. And right. Because the game's so different now. It is not the same game. I'd right. love to see them. You know, so let so, me let me interrupt you there. So you know, on that West Coast trip, Bob, they were four and four. They did not win them all, like people remember. No, they were four and four. They lost the Sacramento game, but three, three points. Then they got rolling, and they were, yes. and, and then they really, really got rolling. And and uh, and the, they won their last like sixteen games by thirteen points a game, or vice versa, thirteen by sixteen. You know, and and they were forty and one at home, and the one was to Portland in uh, December, and uh, you know that's and they, that's. And then that's they got retribution when they 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 won in Portland in overtime. That was yeah. the game. That was the game where he used his left hand all the yeah, time. Yeah, Larry had the, the famous left hand game, which by the way, uh, just to set the record straight. It was 11 left-handed and 10 right-handed. People were going around saying he played the whole game left-handed. Exactly. No, he only played half of it left-handed. Exactly. <laughs> and and also, people don't don't really understand he is a lefty. So yeah, well, he's like Brooks Robinson, and uh, there's a lot, a, a lot, some other. Danny Ainge is another one. It's a natural left-handed person, but they shot the ball right-handed. And uh, you know, Larry does everything: eat, uh, you know, eat and and uh, right, right. right. Left-handed, but he's a right. People didn't realize that. Brooks Robinson. Bob, so, is the does, same so does Walton. Walton's the same way. Yeah, yeah. Three guys on the same team that could use both hands. That's right. And now, so, uh, so let me just before you go ahead. So go back to the great three-pointing team you said, and people don't don't know this or it wasn't printed. I don't remember. First of all, McHale didn't play the whole trip. Did not play. Meanwhile. He played in the All-Star game. Yeah, right. And then he goes on this trip with the Celtics like he's a, like, you know, he, he's a guest. He's, he's the Celtics guest on this trip. Well, how did he play in the All-Star game? And that's like, nobody that was, made a deal about that. that did, well, it didn't go unnoticed, I can tell you. But it wasn't. But you're right. It wasn't the big firestorm that you would think it should have been. It, it was it was noticed, but not obsessed with it. Right, right. But anyway, so before, before, no. Yeah, before practice, Bird had won. Bird had won the first long distance shooting contest at the right. All Star game. That was in Dallas. One. So now they come back. They come. They come to Sacramento, and C Sting, who's a great free three, three point shooter, challenges him to a to a game for a threes shooting for just shooting threes, and he beats him. <laughs> and he beats him, and he announces to everybody, and especially to Bird, he said, "Bird." Larry, he says, you might be, you know, the king of the all-star game, you know, the king of the league. He says, but I'm the best shooter in Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jerry Seasting shot, and I know this verifiable, 65% from the floor in the last 17 games of the regular season. And you know, Peter, that 90% of that 65% were foul line jumpers. He never went to the basket. Yes. Yes. Great. 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 Lee Montville, my friend and great gold columnist, said that he wanted to write a book with Seasting, and the title would be "I've Never Been to the Paint." <laughs> but Seasting shot sixty-five percent in the last seventeen games. Larry talked about how automatic he was. Yes, he was. He was the he was the quintessential fifteen, seventeen foot jump shooter. Right. And and you remember in the famous uh, Bert, uh, Jordan sixty-three point game, uh, the the actual Go ahead, final basket was a Seasting foul line jumper. I said, I wrote, I said, it was like a Studebaker had just beaten a Porsche in a race. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember that. Great line, yeah. though. Great line. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like, I like Seasting a lot. You know, one thing I know you get, you wrote down a bunch of things, but I, I saw the big smile on your face of when, when Bird was talking about his pet peeve. 
Oh. So, so that was 2015. I interviewed, oh. 16. I interviewed him, and here it is. They just changed the rule for this season. Talk about that. Yeah, uh, Larry. Well, oh my God, I freaked out because I haven't talked to him in a while, and I didn't know he had. Was I remember other things he thought about? Larry Bird was obsessed with the the guy jumping into people to draw a free throw, and. You know, right away you think of Harden and you think of uh, Steph and 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 um, you, you think of a few others, but but oh, I, I laughed like hell because that's the big point of emphasis in the NBA this year. As yep. the official officials, they've been that's what they're they're supposed to take out of the game. And uh, Larry Bird, as usual, <laughs> what a yeah. shock! Yeah. Was ahead of the game, was ahead of the yeah. trend. Yeah. Six years, years ahead of a, six years ahead of the league with that. And probably right a lot that, I loved. Um, I loved when we talked about three officials and the fact that you know. I've been saying for years that, you know, college, three officials, it works better in the NBA than in college because in college, they're all trying to impress the conference commissioner so they get the next job. And they all want to show that there's a reason why they're out there and they'll find all little shit, you know. And in the NBA, at least they know they're going to work tomorrow night. You know what I'm saying? They don't have to look at it that way. But he's right. right. Two good officials are better than three mediocre officials any day right. of the week. You know right. that. You know, yeah. the other thing I thought, oh, when, and I related to so well, Peter, when he talked about the long timeouts and the playoffs and something, back in, in 88, I think it is, I wrote about the fact that the minutes that they were logging were extraordinary, even for the time. They, they were, you know, he, they were, the, the Celtic were regulars were, were playing because that year they didn't have a good bench. Uh, or in 87, they didn't have a good bench at all. And, and, they, and Bird was pointing out that it was no big deal because we got all this extra time. And the playoff timeouts were even longer than the regular season timeouts. Right. So he thought it was a big joke that people were talking about minutes. Right. And, it, you know, and so I love and that the, part. And the schedule. And the schedule. Oh, like, and the schedule. We played yeah. the schedule. We played the schedule. We talked about four games in five nights. You just did it. Yeah. You just did it. And you Period. did it in commercial. Commercial. Yeah. Flying commercial. <laughs> yeah. Here's the one revelation I got from that interview, though. I That praise he heaped on Sly Williams. I, I mean, I don't remember. Sly, you know, being that dramatically wonderful. I was around for this for the exhibition when he was around. Yeah, uh, I don't remember, it, but boy, he must. I just don't remember that. I, I don't remember to talk about it. I don't remember that was all news to me that Larry was so right. enamored of how good Sly Williams well, could have been. So look what I accomplished. News to you. When he told it to me, news to me. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know because I was there for that. Um, and I also love what he said about the '86 Celtics uh, in terms of the game was just so easy. You know. And and because uh, I've talked to Walton about it, and and you know, and and he's very uh, you know upfront about that too. But you know, they they supported each other so well. And and let's say there'll never be anything ever again with the equal Parish and Walton, the best one-two center punch of all time. You know, first you don't even have centers anymore, so that's all that matter. But you know that that that's my that's my trump card on why I think the '86 Celtics were the best team, as opposed to the '87 Lakers, who I agree was the other one is. Nobody ever brought Bill Walton off the bench healthy. A, a, a healthy Bill Walton, I thought, changed the game as a six-man in a different way than any other great six-man ever did. You know, he changed the game in a way that, that was unlike any other way to change it. And he and Larry together were like, should have been outlawed. It was ridiculous. Right. When they would pick on the second team, <laughs> Larry, he and Larry, to work and give and goes and stuff and all kinds of sleight of hand stuff, it was, it was just it was amazing to watch. Well, as long as we're talking about Walton, let me, let me just give you your say on – him making the top 50, top 75. I, I was totally against him making it each year, each time. What, what's your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I, I have to give you full disclosure. I'm a president of the Bill Walton fan club, at least a regional president. And okay. I, I, I have long maintained 
and you know, I, I that if Earth were in comp in a one game winner take all with an alien invader and the losing planet was going into servitude for all eternity, that the number one player who ever laced up a sneaker in Earth, I want to start my team is Bill Walton, a healthy Bill Walton, not Bill Russell, not Will Chamberlain, not Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Bill Walton, because I would run my offense through him, I would run my defense through him. He said he was a very, very incredibly efficient, underrated rebounder. He's the greatest passing center of all time, and and I want him healthy, and I I want him. I I'm, so I believe that he should be in the top seventy-five as uh, 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 the way Koufax should have been in the Hall of Fame. You know, despite the fact that he won one hundred and fifty games. So the same way. By the way, Peter Vesey, this is my first opportunity to look you in the eye and say, as much as you objected to Bill Walton, I objected more to Shaq. Shaq being in, a, in the 50s, in the 50th right. team. Right. Which I, and I know you're a huge advocate, and I know you voted for him. Well, not, not a huge advocate. I just That was my determination at the time. I felt yeah. the same way this time. I just I thought it was too good. soon. It's, uh, it's that's all. Not I know. Good. Okay. Well, but anyway. That's, so I'm a big Walton guy. I, but I, but yeah, the operative word, Bob, the operative word is healthy. He wasn't Of course healthy. it is. He wasn't healthy. Best, so you can't his best was the best. We're not dealing. We're not dealing on what he was in college or what he was. You know, if he was totally, totally healthy, what's he talking about? A guy who hardly played his pro career. I mean, he never. He had one season, eighty that six man award, right. and up until then, his top tops games were sixty seven. Even when he they won the championship, when he, he played sixty five or something. Right, I know he, he got the MVP at sixty five. Yeah, you're totally right. And and he's my okay. Let's end it there then. Let's end it. I'm gonna stand up. All right, let me ask you this: Who? All right, you. Now we we have we people have to understand we weren't supposed to rank them. We you and I both voted. We weren't supposed to rank them. We were just supposed to put 75 names down. Right. And I sent them in alphabetically. Of course, I did. I arranged them alphabetically to send them in. But in terms of. But we were ranking them in our minds. We had, you know, we're going off a checklist of people and you're making hard decisions and all. Who was 75 for you? Who was the 75th player? Do you, do you know? Off your yeah, pro- probably it was either it was either Ray Allen or. Um, oh, might have been Ray Allen. OK, mine was I was trying to be fair to the modern player and not over go overboard protecting the old guys, you know, which I was up to do, I was set up to do. And um, uh, I, I was trying to be fair to the modern player. And there's a guy I kept looking at the numbers and I said, damn, I, he's awful good. I guess I got to And I think as, as kind of a, I wanted to feel that I was being, you know, fair to the modern guy. Damian Lillard was number 75 for me. Right. I know that. Well, he, he made my, he made my squad for sure. Okay. I, I, um, yeah, I, I felt like, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I, I was going to ask you, DJ, did you vote for DJ? I didn't. And I, 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 I it was a hard one. Look, I, I didn't. And, and I love DJ. And and people, if I had to do it over again, I might, you know, I mean, I I, I, I feel bad about it. I, I do. I told yeah. you, I made one, I did, I did one thing I did was I made one mistake. I actually forgot somebody after doing all the research and I thought no, I had done I thought I had dotted all the T's and crossed all the I's and, and then I was just going to make decisions and I was going to have to live with the decisions. And I left a couple of people off that I voted on the 50s because, you know, uh, and, and I felt bad about it in one case because I liked the guy very much personally and I didn't vote for him, but he made it. But the guy I forgot, I just forgot until like two days later, I said, holy shit, I forgot Bob McAdoo. 
and and if there's a writer outside of Buffalo who ought, who ought, who appreciated McAdoo more than me, I want to meet him because we had these great battles he and Cowens. You know, and that Buffalo rivalry was really good for three or four years there. And and those two were matched up beautifully and, and, and they had some great battles. And and I appreciated McAdoo. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've and I said to myself, Well, he'll make it. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna have to beat myself up because he'll make it. I won't feel bad. And he did. Right. And therefore, and therefore I don't. Right. But I do feel bad about DJ. Uh, but uh, hey, I had to make decisions. Yeah. I, I based a lot of my decisions on whether you could play both ends of the court at a high level. And That's that was Dumars, Clay, Clay Thompson, those kind of guys. I mean, they had to guard the top guys. And they were also, you know, Clay and Clay was a, is a great I did vote for Clay. I did vote for Clay. I did not vote for Joe. And, you know. I mean, we both know, we all know, there's at least 100 guys who could have been in those 75, if not right. 125 guys. We had right. to make decisions. Are you, do you get as outraged as I do by the use of the verb snub? <laughs> I, I go crazy with snub. It's not I hope snub. I haven't used it more than a few times. <laughs> I, it's not snub. It's tar- hard decisions. Yes. It was very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. Although, I got to ask about one guy, because if, if I'm... If, <laughs> Uh, Dwight Howard, yes or no? No, I, I, I can't. A lot of stuff that I voted, a lot of people I voted for was very personal. I, I just feel that, yeah, he's got statistics and all that stuff defensively and, you know, offensively. But but he became a clown in my estimation. Uh, exactly. And I, the, he's a, he's, both for him. I mean, I, I gave him a nickname. I don't know if you read my column, but I, I, I gave him a nickname Medusa. <laughs> how, do you, how do you vote for a guy with hairs that's got made out of snakes? You know, like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> um, I uh, he's the set, the backup center on the all squandered talent team, and and the starting center yeah. being Dar- the late Daryl Dawkins, who should have been a Hall of Fame player, right? But he was a big clown too. Yeah, uh, Dwight Dwight yeah. Howard is an impediment to winning. <laughs> I yeah. think I, he's I, found I, his I, niche. He's found his niche. Backup. He's a backup. Yeah. Good. yeah, no, I, I I totally agree, Bob. I hate, you know, well, we agreed on a lot over the years. Uh, um, anything else grab you and what we watched? Yeah, I got some notes. Let me see. Uh, I, I had heard about that Bernard to the Celtics. I didn't know it at the time. I love the way he called him Mr. Wolf. Yes. yes. I jumped out at me. Yes. Mr. Wolf. I love that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Larry, today's game, jumping in, three officials, uh, Magic, uh, Oh, yeah. Well, the yeah, you and I, the, the whole farce of that in a uh, press conference in L.A., Larry saved Isaiah Thomas's ass. I, it was like a statesman. He saved his ass completely. And, and it was really one of the most noble things he ever did. And even if it, even if it was just to please mom. It was, you know, because we it, it was it was a damn nice thing he did. And not I, even I, if. I mean, the guy honored his mother for crying out. Yeah. How so many people you know, do that? Oh, oh, I got one for you about Maxwell. And, you know, Max has a book coming out. You know that? No. Uh, he, Maxwell has a book called If These Walls Could Talk. And he's going to tell all these inside stories, supposedly. I wonder if he's how he's going to fess up to the following story, uh, which is that I was in Larry Bird's house. In, the, in January of 1985, the year he got hurt, uh, 80, yeah, 85, the 84-85 season, okay, that, that his last year in Boston. And he had the knee injury, and as Larry alluded to, there was all this controversy about how well or how quickly he was rehabbing. And how, it, you know, and, and, and I was in his house because I went to do a story on his brother, Eddie, 
and what it was like to be Eddie Bird. And I was in the house talking to Georgia Bird and Larry called. It was a Saturday afternoon. And, and so I'm talking to Larry and he said, Bob, Max doesn't want to play for us anymore. And I'll never forget that. And, you know, sure enough, Maxwell never got it, made it back right in time. And they lost when they could have had one more body. They could have, you know, one more body would have been. They needed a body in that in 85, if you think about it. Um, but anyway, so it's I'm amazing, going to Max. Amazing, Max amazing that they, they made up the franchise and Max made up. And, you know, he's been doing the radio oh, for 25 for years. Or, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, they did make up. But but uh, it is. And he, he it didn't end well at all, you know. But he certainly performed the service because he he's that's how they got Walton. Because he yes. went to he went to the Clippers. So, so they got Walton, by the way, Bob. Uh uh Red Arback was tampering. You know, well, well, you know. I know I said, well, he's Red Arback. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, so he took the call from a guy on the opposing team and, and then you know, so that was tampering. So let's the league needs to find find the Celtics some money on that one. <laughs> um <laughs> And a lot of things you you know you you, you got to look past what what what's so obvious and look at what's what's really going on. I I have one one real good story on that Portland trip, and then we'll go back to something you want to get to. But when they beat Portland in, in just one of the most unbelievable games I've ever watched, well, guess what we do afterward? We we go out to a restaurant with a lot of the Blazers. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was there, you know, and Drexler's there, and Kiki's there, and it's like, and, and Walton is there, and a big, big, big bunch of people there. And and Walton gets up and he makes a toast to 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 the game, to the win. He says, "This is this is the first time that I have ever beaten the Blazers since I left." And Bird <laughs> says, "You know, of course it's the first time. It's the first time you played with me, you asshole." <laughs> <laughs> You can't. Yeah. I mean, every every time they spoke was like, okay, let me write that down. Let me write. This down. <laughs> it was. I know it was. A, it was a, a tremendous group, and and, uh, and and Kevin always had something to say that was worthwhile to listen to. And, they, they oh, did. I love this. Oh, the DJ. Let's talk about DJ. You know, Larry famously said DJ is the best player I've ever played with, which yeah. I still will think Kevin will hold against him for the rest of his life. <laughs> I, I, I got to believe that. I don't I think Kevin's been diplomatic about it, but I'd like to get Kevin over a few beers. He's coming to Boston <laughs> in a couple of weeks to be honored in a thing we have here at the Boston at the New England Sports Museum. We have an annual thing called the Tradition, and they honor Boston great athletes you know, of the past. And uh, this year's crop uh, includes um, uh, David Ortiz, Mike Milbury, Ben Coates, wow. uh, Taylor Tellman, who's Taylor Twelman, the great soccer player, uh, Kevin. And Angela Ruggiero, the great woman uh, uh, hockey player. Anyway, Kevin's coming in town, and maybe I'll get him over a beer and say, "Okay, uh, how, yeah. about, uh, how about uh, who's the best player that uh, that we ever played with?" You know, but you anyway, need, DJ, you need to ply him with beers. He'll tell DJ, you. Right <laughs> I'll tell you this from my vantage point: DJ uh, would take nights off, and in, in all fairness, he would announce it in a sense. And, and, and like this practice story Larry told, he would announce it. Danny told me this at the time. And he'd say, all right, get ready. You're getting shots tonight. And because DJ was, and it was always at home against a shit opponent. When they know they were, he knew they were going to win. He wasn't going to hurt anything. And if you go back and look at the game by game in the Yo's years, 7, 84, 5, 6, and fine nights when DJ was like one for five, two for seven, you know, 
three for 11 and, and, instead of something else, well, mostly with just single digit shot attempts. And then Danny would have like 18, 19, 20, 25, you know, it, it and that, that, that was the gospel truth. He, he would take nights off and tell so, Danny, so do you night think, I asked Bird, do you think that's what kept him from making the Hall of yeah. Fame? So, yes. Well, who was, I, I, who was I saying? Don't. Who was saying? <laughs> who was voting? People, he was, uh, I, I love DJ was a very interesting guy. I, I, I loved him. And, uh, you know, his, his premature passing was really, a, a, you know, terrible and but that, but what an interesting player. Oh my God. I can still see him, you know, how he, he dribbled the ball once, bounced the ball once for each year he was in the league before he took a free throw. Right. So in the end, he was bouncing 14 times, you know, before he, right. so I say something to people, how good he was in 1979, Dennis Johnson was the MVP of the finals and he, in a five game series, Blocked 14 shots from the guard position. Really? And I'd say he's the most destructive defensive guard I ever saw. He's the only type of person I've ever called destructive as a defensive player, as a guard. So, so you finished you finished your, your talk on DJ about what he did in the '79 uh, championship. Yeah, right. Fifth, yeah. So you said 14 blocks. He won the MVP. Um, I didn't know about the blocks, um, but I don't know if you remember the previous season. In the uh, last game, okay, last game against Washington, he was 0 for 14. Yeah. That's right. That. I was going to get to that. Oh. I was going to get to that. Okay. Then, oh, oh, no, I'm, I'm well aware of that. And and then <laughs> a, a year later, you know, there he is in the finals, and he's averaging 20 points a game, and he's blocked 14 shots from the guard position. And, by, and then 84, after Casey Jones finally got around to putting them on magic, first three games he's got gerald henderson and other people go and finally i don't know whether dj went to him or what but finally you know i gotta guard him he not, not only guard magic and and i would say neutralize them as well as anyone could in those days in those last four games but also average 20 points a game each of the in the last four Great. games sounds like a hall of famer to me top 75 yeah, well i advocated for him for years and i was so happy unfortunately it was posthumous you know, very sad. Very, very sad. It was very sad. And you know yeah. what? Yeah. So even if he even if he gets in for the hundredth anniversary, everybody in his family is going to be posthumous. Then nobody's going to be there for that. So it's pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, this the life is. You know, we all know that there's inequities, and you know, you, you hope you don't contribute as, as when we have this responsibility, and that's why these votes are very, very, very important uh, things to, to have on your, you know, to, uh, in your lap. And, you know, we, uh, you, you have to think about the ramifications and, you know, it's, 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 it's sometimes it's, it's really scary to think about the effect that these votes can have on people's lives and reputations. Right. I, I thought the whole process was grueling and was very disappointed then when I saw so many people just promoted the top 50 into the top 75. And that to me was, an injustice. But hey, is there anything else? Anything else you uh, picked up on? We want, we're going to get to one more thing before. We yeah, I'm just saying. I think on my list, uh, it's pretty much it. Um, we got the jumping with the magic relationship. Uh, yeah. No. Oh, you know, just one more thing about that. The all that brouhaha about uh, Rodman and, and Isaiah in that in '87 and after that game overshadowed the fact that what a great goddamn seventh game that was. The fourth quarter was thirty-six to thirty-four, wow. and, this, and it was it was a great, great uh, quarter of basketball. And was uh, that the game? Uh, was that the game that uh, that Dantley and Vinnie Johnson banged heads? Yes, it is, and that's how Rodman wound up guarding Larry to start with on that day. And 
Uh, yeah, exactly. And he mentioned he mentioned Dantley, and I have to admit, I, I don't ever think of Dantley as one of those, you know, jumping in guys as much. As, as, as I just I think of Dantley as being incredibly efficient at six three and a half to score at any level the way he did. I voted for him. I don't know if he did. I voted for him for top thirty five. No, for yeah, for seventy five. Yes. So so did I. Good. I voted for him. So did I. But I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another another controversial vote. I'd certainly put them in there, but I was going to put them in there long before I put in Dwight Howard or James Harden. I was not going to vote for James Harden. I'm sorry. Um, uh, was was Bobby Dandridge? Yeah, I, uh, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, and I didn't vote for him in, in, in this one either. The reason I voted for Dandridge was because you know up until last year. Uh, he played for two franchises, started for two franchises, that uh, the only time they won a championship is when he, <laughs> he started for them with Washington and Milwaukee. And uh, he told me, you know, I don't know, a while ago, a long time ago, he said uh, when, when Unsell got the MVP award, uh, which I was the determining vote, it was three to two, we're, we're right voting on, <laughs> on, on court side there at the seat. But what would you vote? And I had the last vote, it was two two for Elvin. And and uh, and Unsell, I gave it to Unsell. So Dandridge told Unsell that some some big big event they had. He said, "You you owe me you owe me the MVP." He said, "I was the MVP in that <laughs> series," and Unsell said, "You're right, you were." You, you know, so, that's a very good point about Dandridge, and I never thought about it in that context. And I do remember very well because I covered both of those series. No, I didn't cover '71 uh, finals. I covered '79. And he was really good throughout the whole playoffs. I, I uh, absolutely played at the level I hadn't seen him play before, quite frankly. Uh, look, it's one of those mistakes. Yeah. I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm, I could have made a mistake here, but I, I wouldn't have voted yeah, no, for hey. the Hall of Fame. But I can be persuaded. I, I've changed my mind on people over the years and, and, and both baseball and basketball. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, if you don't have an open mind, I, I, I'm fine of quoting that famous uh, – uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson line: the, "The foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds," and and I really believe that. And and yeah, you should be open for for a change. It, you know, if, if if you 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 can be you can be educated, or you can rethink things, or you can see things in a different way. And uh, so I I'm not uh, right. I, I, I'm I'm not going to no. say I was right or wrong. No, no, of course not. So the last thing on Bird before we cut to something that you and I did in 1985 is that there are actual people on Twitter that say that Larry Bird could not be Larry Bird in today's game. And, and you know, I, I try to not pay any mind to the mindless. So I just, anybody who puts that up on my site is automatically voided. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I, just totally. It's, <laughs> it's preposterous. This myth about athleticism and all that too. You know, and and uh, no, it's it, it's not it's ludicrous. You know, yeah. So, on the, the the one that I got to defend all the time uh, is oh, it's two, and and one I can defend better than the other is, is Russell and Cousy, and and Russell, I, I maintain if he were airlifted back into the game in in 2021, the same body, the same everything, the same body, the same mind, the same competitive spirit, the same, he's, he'd be the best shot blocker and and would lead the league in rebounds again because he 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 was a rebounding genius and he was a and he was basically invented the block shot, you know. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I, I yeah. people that have to, un that, he would that, be fine. I, I heard would, some people. I got an email this week, Peter. 
Oh, he'd be Serge Ibaka. No. <laughs> and then, then people said worse than that. You know. Yes. I, I maintain he was the greatest role player in NBA history because whatever needed to be done, he would do it. And I, I spent some time last week with the Michael Harrison, Paul's, Paul's son. And he told, uh -huh. me, he told me what his father said about Russell, about his shot blocking. And, and, and he's, he said to his father about, you know, like, come on, he, he only blocks like four shots a game or something like that. And Paul said, yeah, but you never know which four they are. <laughs> that is the gospel truth. And Bill Russell, uh, who I did a, had a great interview with and when they had a big ceremony for him in Boston in 1999 and finally honored him the way he should have been with a night at the garden. And when people came in, Wilt was there and, and, uh, and people, all kinds of people came and uh, Bill Cosby was the MC. We won't get into that. But, uh, you know, th that's um, Russell talked about how he was strategically some guys he tried to take out of a game early. Other guys, he let them make their pet move until the fourth quarter. And then they'd make the same pet move. And oops, see you later. Right. You know, Wilson Burger. And and, yeah, there was nobody ever that played and thought the game at that position out better than Bill Russell. He knew exactly what he was doing uh, in that regard. No, they, and, and not to mention, they didn't even keep count of how, right. and how many shots. You know, the intimidation shots. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway, it, I understand people have can't believe a guy whose last game was May 5th, 1969, could possibly be playing with these great young athletes. But <laughs> he was ahead of his time. Yeah. Some people are pioneers. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. He was he, he talked about in this interview I did with him. He could touch the rim with this. He could kick the rim. OK. Or the I mean, high jumper. So yeah, he could. Yeah, he did six nine legit and yeah. without without with hardly any technique. You know, right? And the old Western role he did, but he had he just did it for fun. He could do that, right? And he was, you know, no, that's it's, yeah. It's, so it's so you know, but you know, we'll we'll change our minds about things that our minds need to be changed, but but those aren't any of them. <laughs> and the other thing is, we have to be. And the flip side of that is. There was never, there never been anything like Steph, Steph Curry. This is a, no this point. is, this nobody ever liked him. He's the greatest guy to get a shot off at distance that the game has ever seen. Right. Period. And he's had an influence. He's everybody else to think they can do it. Well, he's influencing. He's a bad influence on 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 young folks. I mean, you right. know, everybody in America, all these kids are cranking threes more than ever because of Steph Curry. And he makes right. it look so ridiculously easy. And also, the, he had an influence on the league. I mean, more and more guys are shooting from two and three feet behind the arc in a way they wouldn't have done it five years ago. Right. And look where Trey Young, Young shoots from. Yeah, Trey Young would be Exhibit A, right? He'll, yeah, he's oh, he, yeah. No, he, he comes across midcourt. You better get your hands up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey Bob, let's let's just look at the uh, the interview you and I did in LA yeah. in the playoffs, uh, and. Uh, we were interviewed by Ted Green, and and then we'll. I'm not sure how much they're going to put on, and then we'll come back and. Okay, talk sure, Ted sure. Green. Okay. Well, our guests can tell them all about the championship series and a lot more about basketball. They're writers, and they not only inform and entertain their readers, they also enrage them sometimes. But their peers admit they're two of the best and most opinionated newsmen in the NBA. On the left, Bob Ryan, 15 years with the Boston Globe. 11 covering the Celtics, and joining Bob's syndicated columnist Peter Vesey of the New York Post. Pete has followed the bouncing ball for 20 years, the last eight with the Post. Two old friends, and I mean that figuratively, of course. 
and Bob Ryan, Pete Vesey, our guests on Sports Look. Bob, Pete, thanks for coming by. The winning and the losing in the Laker-Celtics series seems to be taking a back seat to the pushing and the shoving. What's going on in this series? Seems like it's a reversal of roles. Uh, last last year, the and the Lakers could not adjust to the way the Celtics were manhandling them, and, and that also happened in Game 1 this year. And uh, once they got over the shock, they decided that... Uh, they had, to, they had to play the physical game or they weren't going to uh, survive. And I think the biggest thing here is that they were able to uh, adjust, incorporate the, uh, the physical part, the aspect, into the running game. It hasn't affected their running game. It's, it's really accentuated it, and I think that's uh, one of the keys in this, this whole thing. Yeah, it's been a surprise. They're calling the Lakers the Beverly Hills Bullies. Are well, you surprised, Bob, that <laughs> well, they've come out this tough in the, in the last two games? Well, they had to if they were, had any chance of winning. Now, what... In the normal circumstance, they are so talented. Their raw skills, their running, jumping, and shooting level is so high that they can just show up during the course of the regular season and also in the Western Conference playoffs and win by virtue of simply playing offense, not worrying too much about, about getting down and dirty. They don't have to. They're too good. And the, and the keynote speaker, if you will, is Kareem. Kareem is a finesse player. He always has been. He has, he's always eschewed the violent aspect of basketball. He's complained about basketball's violent nature for years and years. He's a, he's a, a finesse player. And this is, uh, teams that he's played for have always had that tone. And every team he's ever played for is quiet for rebounding because he's never really cared to get, to get aggressive. You know, he's not his vision. He looks in the mirror, he sees sky hooks and beautiful uh, ballet moves. He's all this business. The Lakers can get away with it for various reasons. The East and the West imbalance. The West is the weaker conference at present. It, has not, it was not historically always true. It is true. It's a cyclical thing. Right now, this balance of power has shifted to the east, and it's a physical balance of power. Boston, Philadelphia, uh, Washington in its good days. And the west is more of a finesse, run-and-gun, Denver, San Antonio-type situation. The Lakers can prevail because they have the most raw talent of any team in basketball. Well, the Lakers won yesterday, as you know, by 25 points in Game 3. They lead the series two games to one, and yesterday at the Forum, there were at least, at least three altercations, and we have some videotape from yesterday's game. Yeah, this was the uh, well, this was the second one. This was when uh, this was after McAdoo and McHale got into it, and uh, Magic Magic got into it, McHale, and got called for a foul. But they like they always the referees always see the second foul. I thought McHale fouled Magic first, and then uh, Magic retaliated. Uh, this was the Ray Williams, which is uh, completely uh, uh, taking complete leave of the senses because not only is he prolonging <laughs> this against a very aggressive man. He is violating the cardinal rule of, of uh, Worldwide uh, Federation Wrestling, which is you don't drag the man into the other guy's corner, you drag him into your corner. A ridiculous... Uh, and oh, see, I, I disagree there. I thought that uh, Rambus was throwing elbows into Ray's face. Ray might have fouled him from behind, but then when he started throwing his elbows, Ray had to hold on for dear life or he would have uh, gotten his head taken off, and I think that's what happened. I think we have a fundamental uh, difference of opinion there. <laughs> you know, Bob and Pete, uh, there seems to be genuine animosity, even hatred, between these two teams. Uh, what do you think? Disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Disagree. Sir. Larry Bird, after the game, was asked about this uh, aspect, and he said, well, they're not our best friends, he said, but if one of those guys got traded over here, you know, it's no different. They want to win. These, are, these teams are here for, the, two, for very, the best possible reason. They're the two best teams. Do you think the violence will escalate as the series goes along? I think... Game four, it has to. I mean, the uh, the Celtics know that they have to make the adjustment now, and they've been being pushed around. And uh, you know, I was waiting for Larry Bird to exhume the old, uh, you know, we're a bunch of sissies uh, quotes from last year, 
uh, or he only would say that he's the big sissy now on the team and he's going to do something about it in the next game. And I would say the only one they hate, I think, the Lakers is Red Arback. I think everybody hates Red Arback. <laughs> but the players, I don't think they hate each other no. at all. Bob, you've been around the Celtics for uh, the better part of 15 years. Right. Uh, do you think the Lakers got angry at the Celtics because they talk a lot in the newspapers? I think that, uh, we, I think this year, I don't think... <laughs> they call them always, the Lakers. Right. I think, I think this year the, the Lakers are <laughs> angry, for, if they are at all, for a very simple reason. The two big mouths aren't even contributors. The number one big mouth is M.L. Carr, and he's an 11th or 12th man now at this stage of his career. And, and they say, why do we have to hear it from him? He's not going to have any effect on the winning and losing of any ball game unless it's a playground game after the game. Secondly... Bernard King said about M.L. Carr, by the way, he said, uh, for a guy who plays so little... He sure talks a lot. Yeah. Now we got Cedric Maxwell, who is in a peculiar stage of his career. He's coming off an injury, and he's no longer a major factor. He may become one again next year. And he's shooting off his mouth. Okay. Shooting off his mouth is something that uh, Bob Ryan knows a lot about. Uh, we will be back with Bob and Pete Vesey when we return on Sports Look. <laughs> what what did Ted Green mean to you? What did he mean when he said that about you? What was that? Can't imagine. I uh, you know we we got to tell our I got to tell my best Ted Green story. Go ahead. Um, now I, I assume that you like I played we played on a basketball court with Ted Green. You must have played with him, right? Absolutely. <laughs> now me. All right. Ted Green was a pretty good shooter, by the way. Good player. And, and he was a, yeah, he was, he could really shoot, honest to God. And, and a pickup yeah. basketball, YMCA level ball player that, you know, games that we played, um, he was, he was a shooter. But he was, you didn't want, you wanted, you didn't want to be on his team and you didn't want to be on the other team either. <laughs> uh, he, he, he was, and the famous story is Jerry West was playing in the game and Richie Levin, who was the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, beat man, a great one, and who later went to work for Peter Uberoth and wound up spending, finishing his career wait, wait, looking wait, for baseball. Say, say what kind of player he was. Played at UCLA. He, oh, Richie Levin was a member of the first two UCLA championship teams. He was a very good high school player in Philadelphia. He went to UCLA. He didn't play much on those teams, but he's... No, he was, he the was team from team. L.A., Bob. Bob, he was from okay. L.A. Yeah. You, changed the you, you checked the team pictures, and no, there's but, Richie Levin. He played. He, he played in L.A. when Goodridge was a senior. He actually outscored Goodridge by one point his senior year. Then they went to play at UCLA together, and he basically never got off the bench. But go ahead, right. he was a good player, Richie. Good player. He was among. The, he was. He was the real player among us. Frankly, you know. Oh. So uh, he was good. All right. He, here's. Uh, let me get to the story. So he just he's guarding Jerry West. And Jerry West rang off a few baskets, at which Ted Green, who's a teammate of Lynn's, says, hey, you're going to guard the guy? <laughs> no, a little differently, a little differently. So so West, it's the same story. We got the same story. So West had, was teaming up with Jack McCloskey and Stan Albeck. Both were pretty good players in college, you know, and stuff. And, and, and sometimes uh, Dr. Tucker, uh, Magic Johnson's agent, he played, and he was really good, too. So they loaded the sides against sports writers. You know, it, it was it was Levin Green. Who was the other guy in L.A. that? Uh, I'm trying to think. He died. Uh, oh, oh, 
Uh, Scott Osler? No, he died. No, Scott Osler would have been a good one for it, but it would have would have evened up the odds a little bit. So so West West is is killing them, and uh, and, and Green makes his comment. He says, "Can't anybody fucking guard this guy?" <laughs> I think I West, like mine better, even if yours is right. <laughs> West West had only retired like a, a year or two. I know. <laughs> But Ted was a legend in many ways. But I, I, uh, no, that's fine. Um, by the way, for the record, folks, the ma- the mustache lasted two more years. <laughs> no, twelve more years. It's so a 1997. It was 85. The 1997, it died. It we we put it to rest. Okay. Anyway, I think my hairline <laughs> died long before that. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, I I think I think we're gonna call it a day. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and we only really—I mean, we we veered off a few times, of course, top seventy-five and all that. But uh, we really concentrated on one guy, one team, <laughs> and uh, you and I, you and I, well, could uh, go on forever. On let me just week. summarize for people my feeling about Larry as a player, and and that is, I he I I, I I've always said this: when he came along in seventy-nine, it was I was ten years into covering the NBA. So 10 years since I had first started covering it in 1969. And, you know, I thought felt pretty well entrenched. I thought I'd seen a lot of great players. I thought I definitely covered the best player I would ever cover. And that was John Havlicek. And here comes Larry Bird. And I said, here's what it was like for me at that stage of my writing and basketball loving career. It was as if I had signed up for an art course, but I didn't know who the teacher was. I just wanted that course. And the teacher walked in and it was Michelangelo. And Larry Bird represented to me everything that was good about the game of basketball. And, and, and I, I, uh, to, to have him as a focal topic. So, and I wound up, Peter, writing more about Larry, more words that, about him than anybody that I ever covered in any sport by far. It was Larry Bird. And I am just so grateful that he entered my, my life. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. I think you said it all expressed uh, my feelings exactly about him uh, better than I ever did. And uh, I want to thank you again, Bob, for, for coming on here. It was a tremendous afternoon for me. Well, it's fun for me too, Peter. And, uh, you know, it's long overdue. We, we're going to have to have part B sometime. Okay. All right. Soon, I hope. All right. Folks, that's it. That's the end of well, the podcast. And, um, I think uh, after listening to Bob, I think the the idea is to have uh, several other sports writers on at different times, like like Sam Smith and uh, and Mark Heisler, and you know, guys, legends yeah. legends of our time in, in in the sports writing business. Thank you for listening to Hoop Du Jour with me, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. You can listen to all Hoop Du Jour interviews by searching Legends Studios wherever you get your podcasts.